evening, Best Buds. My name is Best Boy Justin, and today we're delving into the story of ketchup, a history as rich as the flavor of this timeless condiment. While in modern times, when we think of ketchup, we refer to a savory tomato-based topping and dipping sauce, early recipes made use of other ingredients, such as mushrooms and oysters, in order to... Best Boy Justin... What? what are you talking about? It's the ketchup episode, Dan. It's the ketchup episode. It's clever wordplay. So wait, what am I supposed to do with this 10,000 words about ketchup I just wrote? Uh, I mean, you can read it to me. Well, that's no fun. Hello and welcome to the Best Boys Podcast. I'm Best Boy Dan. And I wasted an entire afternoon writing about ketchup. Uh, I mean, it's not a waste if you're doing something you love. I guess that's a good point. Anyway, it's the ketchup Uh, episode today. (laughs) Mustard is superior. I agree with you on that one. Um, Yeah, so uh, for today's episode, uh, we have gone back in time and picked out some shows that we were interested in and wanted to finish, but because we are constantly watching so many shows uh, for the podcast, didn't get to or got left behind for various reasons. so it's an interesting one. Uh, we, we picked out a pretty uh, wide slate of shows to choose from and tell you best buds about. Um, but we definitely have uh, some things to talk about in the manga world. I know Best Boy Justin has some strong opinions on uh, some Bandai announcements. No, no. We have a whole bunch of new... We have a bunch of new news for you guys. Um, we're we're announcing dates for uh, for some of the uh, fall shows, and uh, and if there's yeah. some time left at the end, I'll talk about ketchup. Yeah, uh, and uh, stay tuned after the episode. We're just gonna let Best Boy Justin deliver his dissertation, so it should be like six to seven hours long. I actually have like two dissertations to deliver already during this episode. So <laughs> I know this one, this one's going to be a long one. I, I have some thoughts on some manga to kick things off. All right. Um, have a little, little Dan's manga corner for my banter section. And, and it's pretty quick. I've, I've been kind of like reading a bunch of stuff. My, my current goal with my backlog is I have like a bunch of like, first volumes of things that I wanted to um, give a try and see if it was worth continuing to read or collect uh, things that had caught my eyes, but I just never got around to reading. Uh, and one of the first ones was Boy's Abyss. Oh, God. Um, which I had to stop reading on a train uh, because of a very graphic sex scene. Um, but this manga is dark. Um, I warned you. It's basically just about, yeah, it's basically just about a bunch of people like vying for the fate of this like one kid's soul. Um, and, and none of the outcomes for him are good. Um, 
what I like to think of it as is it's the it's the actual result of what and what a harem would be in real life. So, like, you would think like, OK, yeah, I'm a teenage boy and everyone wants to fuck me. This is great. But it would actually be incredibly mentally scarring. <laughs> yeah, like there this deals with some very um intense issues including like uh self-harm and, and suicide um so it is not for the faint of heart but if you like a, a really like intense character study drama of kind of like the out like the excesses of like kind of human immorality mm-hmm. it's it's an interesting read I, I gave it up after a while. It was just too much for me, but I, I'm I'm glad you're enjoying it. I picked up the second volume, so so that one uh, uh, we'll we'll come back to and and we'll see. I wonder how we'll, far we'll, into we'll that get, I that made one gets it. to. That one gets to. Okay, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm curious right now. I'm just actually I'm going to to look at how far into that show I got. But you you can keep keep going. Yeah, uh, the the next one that I I kind of uh, pulled up on on this journey was touring after the apocalypse, which I picked up at Anime NYC last year, uh, and I was fully ready to. I I've had this one for almost a year now. I was like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna like, you know, want to read this. I I finally sat down and read it and. Ended up thoroughly enjoying it. I was like, oh, come on, what? They're going to... I was like... I, I went into it not in the best of ways because I was, like, fully ready to write it off. And it just kept charming me. Um, it has very much the same feel as Zom 100 in regards to the touring aspect, especially the, like, post-apocalyptic touring of Japan and seeing all the sights <laughs> bit of it. Um, but it has, like also kind of a slice of life feel to it um and just enough mystery to keep you like really interested in the like what happened like what you know is furthering this story and it's the mystery to it is like i was like okay i need to keep reading and and find out more about this world and what happened yeah I actually, I also have that one. Um, I'm about halfway through it. I really enjoyed it. I think just life got in the way, so I never, I, I put it down and never picked it back up. But it definitely, yeah. it to me, it has the same feel as Girls' Last Tour. If anyone's ever read that one, which I really enjoy, but it has got a very different vibe. If that makes sense, I think that one has a an anime too. It does. I haven't seen it, but I know it does have one. Um. So the the last two that I kind of want to wrap up on real quick are are my two manga plus reads, mm-hmm. uh, which are Hokkaido Gals and Chainsaw Man, uh, season two, uh, which is airing right now. Um, not the anime, the the manga, um, and Hokkaido Gals is amazing, and I'm so happy. It kind of we kind of got to the climax of the uh romance arc um and and i'm i'm very excited about it (laughs) i think they did it really well i thought it was cute i was happy no notes yeah no i i liked it it was really good um also i looked it up i i made it through five volumes of boys abyss before i quit um so there's that 
Um, and I oh, can wow. I can tell you over the course of five volumes, it never gets better. It just keeps getting worse. OK, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see where I get with it. then. <laughs> um, but yeah, as far as Hokkaido Girls is concerned, yeah, I really love it. It's you know, it's it's that kind of manga. It's not for everybody. If you're not into just a standard rom-com, you're not going to you're not going to be too interested in it. But if you are a fan of like a romance comedy um, and Gyaru's, obviously, um, you'll really like this one. And I think the the thing that really sells me on it is the the story never gets stale in this one. You know, it kind of it, it did at one point get into kind of a a typical rom-com loop where ev- there's a bunch of other girls who are interested in the main character. But I feel oh, like it yeah. ha- it handled that somewhat better than most other rom-coms do. That that hit me really hard when I was like tearing through it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> straight, not week to week. Um, but what I think is interesting about Hokkaido Gals and touring after the apocalypse and Psalm 100 is there's kind of this like tourist subplot that is becoming really prevalent in in manga and anime recently mm-hmm. I've noticed mm-hmm. where it's like uh, part of it is um even like Eurocamp did it too it's like showing off parts of Japan and it's almost like the tourism board is like underwriting the anime in well, a way. It's interesting that you say that because that is actually kind of where this genre comes from. Because if you think about shows, um, you know, you have things like Let's Make a Mug 2, Mugmo, right? That is actually, mm-hmm. you know, it was produced in... Um, in partnership with the tourism board of the part of Japan that that showcases. Um, And there are a lot of examples of these kind of slice of life shows that are about, you know, whatever they are about pottery or whatever, but they're actually about the showing off a a particular region of Japan. Um, And I feel like a lot of the shows that we're getting now, like Zom 100, Yuru Camp, things like that are kind of an outgrowth of those of those shows that like were, you know, just a, a write off slice of life that had to do with a particular region. It's interesting, though. And the funny part about it is like I watch these shows. and I'm like, man, I really want to go to all these places. Right. So it works. Yeah. Um, but I, I think also part of it's just kind of like a little bit of like pride, maybe of the, you know, people writing it. They're like, you know, we have all these amazing things and like to show it off and share it like uh Hokkaido gals is a really great example of that where like every, you know, chapter they have a little bit of like Hokkaido facts in it, even if it's just like on the cover. That's interesting that you bring that up because I am going to be talking about a a similar thing uh, later in the episode. So just keep that in the back of your mind. (laughs) Okay. Uh, and then to kind of wrap everything up, uh, in my section, uh, chainsaw man season two, it's been going on for a while now and I don't know where it's going. Um, it's kind of like, it's setting up a lot of stuff. It's just, it's so, it's very different from, the first season and I'm unsure about it. Okay. Well, that's all I'm really going to say now. It won't keep you posted about my feelings. (laughs) Absolutely. Please do. Um, 
So, yeah, I guess it's my turn to banter about a little bit. And like I said, I was going to bring things back to these kind of the that kind of feel that you were talking about with those um, kind of shows talking about a region. I want to talk about a manga that I picked up recently. Also continuing in your manga corner. This is Uncle 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 Best Boy Justin's manga corner now. Um, <laughs> I've been reading a manga recently that I really, really enjoy. It's called Alicia Chanchi no Iroribata. Um and basically, that, that kind of translates to by the furnace of Miss Alice's house, um, although furnace is a bit of a off translation, but we'll talk about it. Um, and it basically, it's a seinen, um, but it's not your typical seinen, right? When you think of a seinen manga, what do you think of? Like, what, what's the kind of vibe that you're that you're that you're looking for? Like Gantz, Berserk, mm-hmm. um, Monster. Right. So those are like your typical like action seinen, right? So you have like shows that are a bit more graphic, violent. Because again, as we talked about in previous episodes, a seinen is a a a show or a manga that is um, marketed towards the the older adult male demographic, as opposed to a shonen, which is towards like a younger uh, teenage male. Um, but seinen is actually a really broad uh, demographic genre thing. Um, it doesn't just cover these kinds of graphic, violent, uh, or sexually uh, charged shows. It it also there there is slice of life seinen and there's romance seinen as well. Um, and this is a very good example of both of those things. Basically, the 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 story kind of centers around this this guy who he lives in like a countryside village, right? And not not even like a countryside village. He lives in like within the the equivalent of of our in the U.S. or the West. We would consider like the they live in the sticks. They live in the countryside. Right. Um, And basically a girl that he grew up with who was older than him, um, like an older neighbor next door. She ends up moving back to the countryside after having lived in Tokyo for a while. Um, after her grandmother passes away and she takes over her grandmother's home and in her home is something that's called an irori. And what that is, is it's kind of you've seen this in in anime and manga before. If you've seen like a traditional Japanese room that has what looks like a dirt pit in the center where they build a fire and then they hang like a a kettle over it um, or they cook food there. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I, I like just picture it in like uh, kind of like an old temple you'd find in like um, fruits, like a fruits basket home or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's some, it's something like that. Um, but yeah, so basically that that's called an irori. It's like a, it's a cooking. It's a sunken hearth, a cooking hearth. Um, huh, and it, it, it's it's a type of cooking that is kind of. It's not even just cooking. It's also for warming the house. It's for, you know, doing so many, so many different things. But it's a, it's a type of of thing that is really fallen by the wayside in modern Japan, obviously, because having an open fire in the middle of your wooden home is not the safest thing in the world. Right. But it is historically. I don't see it, an issue with it. OK. Fire Marshal Dan, give it the OK. Um, <laughs> but no, it is historically how many Japanese homes uh, heated their heated themselves and co- did cooking and basically it's the story centers around this irori in her house in Alice's house, but um, what the story really is talking about is it is telling 
a very kind of real and earnest story about a boy who is in love with an older woman. Right. And it's not like your typical like you see a lot of like shonen age gap romance. What ages are we talking? So he's he's like 16, 17 and she's in her 20s. So it's not like a huge age gap. It's not. Yeah, it's not. It's it's it doesn't breach the creepy factor. Right. Um, I mean, well, you got to consider in. (laughs) okay, in a lot of parts of Japan, the legal marriage age for men is 17 years old. So do with that information what you will. But cultural differences aside, um, it's, it's much different from your typical like shonen age gap romance where the younger boy is chasing the older woman and it's like a, a very sex sexually charged kind of thing in this case it's really more of like um he is growing up and she is watching him she is dealing she has to deal with the fact that he she has come back from tokyo and he is a man now basically and he is kind of dealing with these kinds of things that a man, you know, a young man deals with in becoming themselves, you know, growing out of childhood. Um, so is it a romance? Yes. Is it a slice of life? Yes. But it's really kind of like a coming of age thing. Um, and I really wanted to highlight it because, like I said, I'm really enjoying it. But mainly because I, I wanted to to talk about how, you know, Seinen doesn't have to be this kind of um, uber violent graphic kind of thing. Seinen is a lot more nuanced than people tend to give it credit for. Um, And I think this is kind of an example of that. And it is also, you know, in addition to being a a coming of age story, it is it is a love poem almost to the to the dying concept of the Irori. which I think is a really interesting kind of cultural phenomenon. Yeah, and I so two things. One, I think that brings up uh, just like an interesting point regarding like kind of classifications within you know Japanese media in terms of like shonen, seinen, jose, like all that sort of stuff. In that, like those are just talking about demographics and we tend to attribute them as genres more often than not uh when that's not the case right like you always have to remember it's demographics and within those demographics there are different genres absolutely um and then the you know just the story itself is really interesting and reminds me of another manga um you love me not my <laughs> my daughter i think it's called oh yes so yes yes yeah the- you mean you love me not my daughter yes yeah have you read that yes actually i'm i'm i i am caught up on it actually um, um me too it's adorable <laughs> it is it's it's another example of this kind of so like age gap is and in, I'm not saying that this perception is wrong because in most cases it's it's right. But age gap is also is often viewed as this kind of um, lurid, uh, inappropriate relation between a, a, a younger person and an older person. But there are, you know, legitimate stories of of age gap romance like, you know, not everybody you know, people who people fall in love regardless of what their age is, as long as it's above the age of consent, then that's fine with yeah, me. We're not we're not all that one Republican senator. 
Oh, yeah. God, no. Um, you know, there, there are obviously problems with a lot of different age gap stories because many of them do not take place within the bounds of the lawful age of consent. And that is a problem. Um, but they don't they're not all like that. And I think we have to kind of embrace the the fact that, uh, you know, anime and manga and Japanese culture and culture at large um, is, you know, uh, a multitude of, of various things. It's it's not it's not yeah. all one, you know, one thing. Well, and it, it's also it, uh, I think more than anything, it's the story you tell with it. Right. Yeah, like, exactly. I, I think that there you can have. I mean, in theory, you can have an age, just about any sort of age gap story, but it's all in how you portray it, right? Yeah. One of my favorite so. romance manga in the world is actually an age gap um, manga. That's uh, Sesame Salt and Pepper. Um, oh, I thought you G- were going to say <laughs> Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. I mean, t- technically, yes. Technically, yes. Is, <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid is an age gap <laughs> romance Yuri story. You're and welcome. Best, best action. Yes. Oh God, I can't best believe fights we got kids. there. For full disclosure, folks, I am uh, I'm currently drinking some very delicious sake that I picked up at the liquor store near my house. But halfway through drinking the first can of it, I realized that it is 19 percent alcohol. So I'm a little loopy this episode. Um, it's going to be that kind of episode. If I wasn't a so hack tell me and about a fraud, last heretical. Yeah. If I wasn't a hack and a fraud, I would have just stopped drinking it. But here we are. I just opened my second can. Uh, Yeah. So the next thing I wanted to talk about, completely unrelated, most heretical last boss queen. Um, This is one of the anime that we did not include in our top 10 uh, spring anime, summer anime, summer anime. Um, Because it just it wasn't it's not it's not one of the top 10 anime of this season. Right. I think you would agree with me there. Right. Best point in easily yeah Yeah. but i have been really enjoying it and that is unusual because it is a particular genre that i typically do not engage with um i am not into the person being reincarnated into the romance game as the 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 villain the the queen or even at all like i'm not at all interested in the genre of being reincarnated into a romance game um, I got one season that I enjoyed and then I was like, that's it. I'm good. I don't ever need to see another one. Yeah. And, you know, like the, the big one is reincarnated. Uh, what is it? My life as a villainous. All roads lead to doom or something like that. That's the big one. That was the one that like kicked it off. Yeah, I watched a couple episodes of it. It didn't click. I've watched a couple episodes of various other types of this genre that never worked for me. But this one, I really like this one. And I can't 100% put my finger on why. Um, I think part of it has to do with the setting. I really enjoy the kind of it's kind of like a low magic. But with, you know, somewhat Renaissance level technology. So like they have guns. They're mostly like pistols and muskets. Primarily people fight with swords. There is magic, but it is based on like what the type of quote unquote blessing that you're born with. Um so like the main character, the way the, the romance game works is that her blessing is premonition so she can get like visions of the future. Right. And that helps her fight in combat, but it also helps her with her schemes and whatnot. But then you have like, you know, one of the ma- the big side characters, he can trans he can teleport things that are no larger than his own body and so on and so forth. So there are different things like that. Um, Yo, I would eat so much food then. Oh, my God. Me, too, dude. Forget about it. Um 
But yeah, so I don't know. I, I really like this story and it's kind of it's based around the fact that this woman who is living the life of what is supposed to be like the the worst person in this story like she 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 ruins everybody's life she's an awful person but like she feels bad about that so she is doing whatever she can to redeem kind of like this person's story but also it's her own story too because like when she comes into this person like inhabits this person's life it's not like she's born into that person she is kind of like shoved into this character halfway through their childhood so like she has already done horrible things and now needs to redeem herself for those things that she quote unquote she did um and I don't so know why I'm really she enjoying starts it starts at like negative five. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I don't really I, I'm not 100 percent sure why, uh, you know, I gave a couple of reasons why it might be. But I really enjoy the show and I've been watching it pretty regularly. Um, you know, I think probably more than anything, right place, right time. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it, it's just like uh, so when <laughs> this is like a weird look into my brain whenever I go into work i have like a little pocket in my bag that fits exactly two manga in it Mm -hmm. um like perfectly it's great uh and so like throughout the week i'll pick the manga that i bring with me so i you know have an option to read and uh it you know it's usually like just whatever i'm feeling in that given time um which is how I ended up reading like touring after the apocalypse after 10 months. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, Oh, I'm finally in the mood for this. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you just need to be in the right mood for, for a particular story. So I was in the right mood for this one and I've been enjoying it. Um, next up is my first dissertation of the evening or whatever time you're listening to this. I'm not the boss. Of you. I, you teased me with this. I'm very curious. Yes. So I, I we, we started off talking about this a little bit, but Dan doesn't really know what we're about to get into. But just as an introduction, best boy, Dan, what do you know about orcs in the universe of Warhammer 40K? Um, Basically nothing. Perfect. That's exactly what I want to hear, because I'm going to tell you about them. But what I'm okay. going to do is I'm going to tell you about them and how I think they relate to the story of Zom 100. All right. Okay. So, so basically in the world, and I'm not going to go into super depth, so don't you don't have to start frantically skipping forward. I'm going to I'm going to condense <laughs> it a little bit. But basically in Warhammer 40K, orcs are these humanoid beings that are kind of based off of a fungus. So they're like a, 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 a sentient fungus humanoid fungal being right and they are basically like what you would think of as orcs right they're green skinned they're angry they they attack everybody they don't have any allies they just fight everybody and um but the thing that is unique about the orcs in warhammer 40k is they are actually very powerful psychics right but not in the way that other character like others like factions are psychics in warhammer 40k where they can use like telekinesis and like you know what are your typical psychic powers that you would think of they have what is more akin to like a gestalt consciousness like almost not like a hive mind per se but basically the way their psychic powers work is that if if enough of them believe something that becomes true right so an example of this is orcs believe that red things go faster so if they paint their vehicles red, 
they go faster in real life. So like it, it doesn't have anything to do with what they're actually doing. If they believe it's true, it's true. And that's how all of their technology works. So like all of their vehicles and machinery and weapons, anytime they get captured by another faction, they can never figure out how they work because they don't. But the reason why they work is because the orcs believe they work. So they work like uh, like, for example, like um, they have like these war carts. They're basically like they look like these Mad Max looking like vehicles, like trucks or whatever. And they have guns on them and stuff. And so like they they put them together out of parts that they believe makes this thing run and it runs. But basically when the enemy captures it, if they try to use it, it doesn't work because it's just a collection of junk. Um so that is how that is how it's like it's like the ultimate form of the secret. Yeah, exactly. It is the secret taken to its logical conclusion. Um, so it's like ultra instinct, the secret. Yeah, exactly. So basically, like orcs are like the most powerful psychic users of any faction in the entire universe. And the only thing that keeps them from taking over everything is the fact that they are too busy fighting each other most of the time. Um, huh. So anyway, that is how orcs work in Warhammer 40k. And the reason why I am applying this to my analysis of ZOM 100 is because I believe that Akira, the main character from ZOM 100, has a similar power where he <laughs> if he believes something hard enough, it just becomes true. And I think and here's my example for that. I came up with this while I was watching. I believe it was episode three, the one where he wants to he wants to whine and die in the flight attendant. Right. You know what I'm uh, talking about? So basically, yeah. the reason why I come up with this, because he, he doesn't it, he he doesn't want anything grand. Right. It's not like he's asking to be a, like a millionaire or the king of the world. He just wants to do this very simple kind of stupid base level thing. But it is impossible in his current setting. But he wants it bad enough that he trips, slips and falls into a situation where there is magically a group of flight attendants <laughs> waiting to be wined and dined. So like, yeah. I believe that Akira's bucket list is the equivalent of the orcs gestalt psychic um, field that basically it allows him to do whatever he wants. But because he doesn't realize that this power exists, he only uses it to fulfill his silly desires before the end of the world. Interesting. Uh, so can I comment now? Yeah. Yeah. You can always comment. Okay. Um, I just, I wasn't sure if the whole thought was complete. So that is functionally how the show works. You're, oh, okay. you're actually pretty correct. Awesome. <laughs> I do that sometimes. <laughs> like, um, like it, it, so far, everything he has put on the bucket list, mm -hmm. like, like, Obviously, he hasn't done everything yet on the list in the manga, but like, there are things that you're like, there's no way. And just in kind of a weird, only would work in this particular kind of zombie world in his kind of story. 
like way of working out. <laughs> yeah. And it has to because otherwise the story would suck. Right. The story would be lame if it was like he wrote a bucket list, but then he couldn't like obviously there's no flight attendants left. Of course, he can't wine and dine a flight attendant like yeah. that would suck. Obviously, he has to be able to accomplish these things in order for the story to be good. But so that's uh, that in and of itself is, I think, what makes the show so good is the way that they find to cross off some of these things. It is so enjoyable in and of itself and why it's also a really good manga to read. Um, for those who enjoy the anime, I would also recommend the manga because some of them are not even like full chapters. It's just like manga bonuses. Like they'll just have like, you know, a couple pages where they'll like cross something off and, right. and it's just kind of like a funny thing. And I, I imagine it'll be like, you know, an after the credits little scene or something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it, it is interesting. Uh, Cause it, the, the kind of hive mind aspect of it is something that I think comes into play a, a, more than I think you might initially expect. It's technically a gestalt consciousness, but I won't split hairs. Okay. <laughs> yes, the gestalt consciousness <laughs> um, does kind of come into play yeah. uh, as it goes on because uh, of how uh, the list progresses. But I, I won't. Um, it, it's not really a spoiler, but I'll let you discover that on your own. Okay, cool. I'm looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, yeah, so that that's my little that's my little dissertation on how the <laughs> Psalm 100 relates to the gestalt consciousness of the orcs from Warhammer 40k, which is a sentence <laughs> I'm pretty sure has never been said aloud. So I'm kind of proud of that. Um, yeah, well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, but you know what I'm not enjoying, Best Boy Dan? What's that? I'm not enjoying. Well, well, let's just put it, call it what it is. The queer baiting that's going on uh, at Bandai Namco right now. Go go ahead. Say, say your piece. I have been I have been waiting for this. <laughs> so I mean I'm not this... gonna say anything groundbreaking here. Obviously, like everything that's gonna that's gonna be said about this has already been said. It just hasn't been said on this podcast because we haven't done an episode yet. But like okay, so let's let's dial it back up for a couple steps and let's talk about what actually has happened. Um, there was um, an interview that was published in a magazine called Gundam Ace. OK, um, and it was basically it was an interview with uh, the Japanese voice actors for Suleta and Miodin, Right. And um, as part of the interview, uh, the voice actor for uh, I believe it was Suleta um, mentioned as part of an answer that she was giving that. um Suleta and Miorine are married, which they are. Um, and um, spoilers, spoilers. But, you know, whatever. If you haven't seen it at this point, the um, but the, the 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 interesting thing is somebody noticed that the digital version, because this was in the print, right? The digital version that quote was removed. Right. Um, so there was a whole kerfuffle. And basically when it ended up happening is that um, Bandai kind of released a statement um, that said um, that the, you know, any, any, any 
commentary upon Suleta and Mirin's relationship was speculation and that their relationship is, quote unquote, open to interpretation. Um, and basically oh, what, what this is, and I, I really like it's such an unforced error, too, because like all Bandai had to do was nothing. <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> all they had to do was nothing, not, and it would have been fine. Not trip over their own dick. Exactly. Like they they <laughs> they unzipped their pants, flopped their limp, ineffectual penis on the floor, and stepped on it and fell on their own face. Um, no, but like this is this is a huge. It's like so. You're this was such a huge step forward for for Bandai and for anime and for Gundam to have this kind of story and to tell it in this very earnest and open way. And then to just walk it back like that in public is just so cowardly. Like this is like the, the crowning achievement of queer baiting. Like you did it on screen. You had them on screen wearing rings, holding hands like, and then to go, oh, well, because we don't want to say anything in public, we'll just say it's up to interpretation. Like, that's such bullshit. Like, take a stand. Don't be a coward. Or even don't take a stand. Just say nothing. Just let the work speak for itself. And let, you know, if you let people, if if people are really that fucking invested in them not being married, let them just pretend that that's not true. And just let the work speak for itself. There's no reason for, there was no reason for Bandai to get this involved in it. Um, but instead, they, they just, just stepped they were, in a huge pile of shit. They were worried about the small but loud fan base who are a bunch of like you know incel assholes of course and that's such a that's such a huge mistake too because i was i was also because this is what i do in my spare time i was reading an interview with yoshioki tomino who is like the the creator of the original gundam and he was talking about how you know gundam the gundam fan base while it was made as long lasting as it was by basically the fans of Gunpla, who, who were the model kit builders who, who became interested in it, the original fan base of Gundam and the only reason why it survived as a franchise was women. Young women were the very core audience of Gundam during its initial run. The reason why it became like a cult classic was because of the model builders and who were largely men. But. The reason why it stayed on air and he say, he was saying like at all of the meetups and at any like events that were Gundam related one when, when the show was originally um, on the air, it was heavily populated by women. And that, you know, when men started becoming more of a of a of an active role I in mean, the fan base, women kind of seen Amaro's hair. It's pretty hot. Um, but, but when men when men became a larger part of the fan base, women kind of split off and like, you know, made their own corner of the fandom for reasons that are pretty understandable. Um, but then like, you know, th that, that kind of, it, it echoes the way that like Bandai has just like catered to this, this loud minority of people who can't handle the fact that two women are married in a show that establishes in the first episode that that's not even weird for this setting. It's not weird. And the, you know, the biggest, the thing that blows my mind about it is what makes this such a stupid play is that just empirically by the numbers, which from Mercury is a 
huge hit. Yeah. And to just miss the whole why it's a huge hit is just bonkers to yeah. me. Yeah, like, you know, <laughs> like it's not it's, an exaggeration. It's a to huge s- hit because it, it tells a different story. Like, everyone, including, you know, Bandai, has known for a while that the Gundam formula was not keeping pace with the culture and the fandom was starting to age up, you know, and and shrink. And they made good plays recently to expand it and to become more inclusive. And <laughs> then they just are like, whoa, 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 the people, we made some people mad. We, we you know, we don't want to be too new and different. Yeah, and it's wild because it is not an exaggeration to say that Witch for Mercury may have single-handedly revived the entire Gundam franchise. And, like, <laughs> there are people who are going to disagree with me on this, and they're wrong. And, like, I, I say that a lot in Just a, in a joking way on this podcast, but, like, I'm being dead serious right now. Anybody who is trying to undercut the impact that Witch for Mercury has had on the Gundam franchise is wrong. And they're not engaging with the topic in good faith. Because, like you said, Dan, the numbers do not lie. This is the most popular and successful Gundam franchise in decades. And for them to... In terms to- of streaming numbers, in terms of... Gumpla, the kits have sold, I think, quadruple what like anything recently has done. Yeah, it is. It has created a, a fan base that can be an enduring fan base for decades to come. And for them to take everything that made it what it is and just go, eh, well, we're, we don't want to go too it's far up to with interpretation. it, you know, is embarrassing for the company. And I'm just, you know, I'm not going to talk about it anymore, but like, God is so stupid. Like they just really stepped in it on this one. Uh, man. Fuck you, Bandai. Companies be companying. <laughs> anyway, let's hear from Studio WEB with some anime news. <laughs> That's right, Best Buds. We got more news than you could possibly clap between them cheeks. Oh, my. (laughs) Um, Up first, uh, this year's 36th issue of Shueisa's Young Jump magazine revealed that Yugo Aosaki's and Toshi Mitsu Matsubara's will launch a new manga titled Gaslamp Stray Dog Detective Agency in the magazine's uh, issue on August 10th, uh, 2023. Um, Those two names, uh, if you don't recognize them, they're the creators of Undead Murder Farce. uh, Amazing show. One of our favorite uh, new shows from this season. Um, they are uh, writing the manga. Uh, A- Aosaki is writing the manga, and Matsubara is drawing the art. The manga will have a color opening page, and the first chapter will have 83 pages. The manga is uh, set in late Victorian England and will center on the street urchin whose life is changed by a big event. This, um, is, this is interesting. They got the chops for it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, first of all, Gaslamp Stray Dog Detective Agency kind of sounds like they just threw a bunch of darts at a dictionary and just picked out the words that came up. But it is actually like a really like if you if you had a punk band named Gaslamp Stray Dog Detective Agency, oh, I would see their shows. Fuck. 
I would I would have their shirt, yeah. their band shirt for sure. Secondly, I'm glad you brought this up because I actually wanted to make this a banter topic, but it wasn't big enough for me to talk about. But um, now that it's in your news, I can talk about it a little bit. Um, you, do you remember how we were we were talking about how Sherlock Holmes is canonically can, exists canonically within the um, undead murder farce uh, universe because of the TV show? I do remember. So he is not just he doesn't just exist in the show. He is a character in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is it Sh- Robert Downey Jr. It is not Robert Downey Jr., but Sherlock Holmes and Watson are both characters in um in Undead Murder Farce, and they are great. Um, so if you are yeah. sleeping on this show, you better pick it up. It's so good. I need to catch up on it. Absolutely. New episode just came out today, so I'm excited to watch it after this. But after that's not until after I uh, play Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> and after some numbers with Dan. Numbers with Dan. Slam Dunk Edition. Uh, That is because the first Slam Dunk is popping off. It won the Axis Satoshi Kon Award for Excellence in Animation for the Best Animated Film at the 27th Annual Fantasia International Film Festival recently. Uh, The film also won the Animation of the Year at the 46th Annual Japanese Academy Film Prizes. Uh, the film's producer received the general award for um, Film Theater Cultural Association's 42nd Annual Awards. And even one of my like favorite YouTube reviewers, and this is where the real prestige comes in, mm. gave it an A+. Plus, uh, on his reviews. And he has stopped giving letter grades. Um, Chris Stuckman is is the YouTuber that I get my movie reviews from. Um and yeah, he said this was a near perfect movie. Um, so I was interested and I did a bunch of digging into it um, because it's kind of crushing it out there. And I have known of Slam Dunk. I've never actually watched it, um, but it has always seemed like this big thing that just kind of never really took here in the west um so yeah so we're gonna kind of dig into it uh because turns out i'm wrong everyone loves slam dunk i mean (laughs) it is widely regarded as one of the best sports anime there are uh and we're gonna get into how widely regarded it is too so the we're gonna first start by talking about the film uh which opened in japan on december 3rd uh, ranking number one in its opening weekend, where it sold 850,000 tickets, earning 1.3 billion yen, uh, or about $9.5 million over its first opening weekend. Uh, as of July 23rd, the film has sold a cumulative 10.3 million tickets to earn about 14.9 billion yen, uh, or $105 million. The film earned uh, $660,000 in its first weekend at the North American box office. Box Office Mojo listed as the 
12th ranked film its first weekend. So <clears throat> not the best uh, opening weekend in uh, the States there, but it, you know, did okay. There's, there's a little, summer's tough in, in the North American box office, uh, especially with Barbie uh, and Oppenheimer. Uh, it, is now <laughs> it is now estimated that the first slam dunk uh, will earn about $100,000 in its second weekend. Uh, since then, it has also lost most of its theaters, so it will only be getting a third weekend in a few markets. So it's not going to have a really great uh, run here. It ranked 18th in its second weekend as well. Uh, as of uh, the of Monday, uh, August 7th, the most recent numbers we have of it, is it uh, earning $1.05 million in the United States uh, with a total of $152 million worldwide. So what is interesting about all of those numbers to me is that it only made a million dollars in the United States. The U.S. box office is one of the largest pools of money. Um, us and China are the two biggest. China. And... And a million dollars is not a big box office pull, even for like a well-regarded animated movie. Um, like, I, I think Jujutsu Kaisen Zero did like way over that. Yeah, uh, in the United States. So this box office is coming in basically entirely from international. The U.S. only makes up 0.7 percent of the gross of this film. Um. But to give it a little bit more perspective how it lines up in Japan, it is now claimed the rank of the fifth top grossing animated move, uh, anime movie of from Japan. Uh, the first being Demon Slayer, which <laughs> won all the awards. Yeah. Um, Spirited Away is number two. Your Name is number three. And Suzume is number four. Can I just uh, highlight something so, real quick before you move on from this particular that? topic? The difference between number one and number two in gross <laughs> gross proceeds is number oh, two, yeah. Spirited Away, <laughs> $395 million is a lot. Okay? It's a lot. But yeah. Demon Slayer, $507 million. <laughs> there is a difference of more than $100 million between the top two. Yeah, um, yeah, it's like a twenty percent difference. <laughs> yeah, and also a nineteen-year gap, which is wild. Yeah, I'd be interested what that is adjusted for inflation. Um, in terms of top-grossing uh, movies of all time in Japan, uh, it has actually moved into the fourteenth place slot, uh, just uh, just passing uh, Suzume. It looks like actually. Uh, in terms of specifically just Japan. And, you know, it is coming up on uh, Ponyo next. So that should be interesting. Um, so this made me wonder, like, how how popular is this, like, actually? Like, it has been years that this is running. How, how has it done over the years? So I kind of went back through and, and looked at its reception. In 1994, Slam Dunk was awarded the 40th Shogakukan. Oh my god! Do you, do no you want way. me to give you this? Do you want me to give you this one? Yeah. Please. Where is it? Where Go is for it. it. Um, Shogakukan. Shogaku Shogakukan. Yeah, that one. 
Uh, Manga Award in the Shonen category. In 2005, TV Asahi's Top 100 Anime Survey of Multiple Groups, Slam Dunk ranked as the eighth most popular anime. In 2008, the English translation of the manga was listed as one of the best comics by Publishers Weekly, um, which is interesting because Publishers Weekly is a pretty, you know, well-regarded uh, English publication. Yeah. Um, in 2009, the Japanese uh, government's Media Arts 100 poll of the public's favorite works of all time, uh, Slam Dunk took the first place for manga. Uh, that same year, in a survey from Oricon, who does a lot of the rankings of sales, uh, ranked it as the manga that fans uh, most wanted to turn into a live-action film. Uh, additionally, the Young Adult uh, Library Services Association, uh, which is a U.S.-based organization, named the first volume uh, one of its great graphic novels for teens. Uh, in 2014, readers of uh, Media Factory's Da Vinci magazine voted Slam Dunk as the fourth uh, Weekly Shonen Jump's greatest manga series of all time. In 2017, it ranked second only behind Kingdom on the uh, Tatsuya Comics All-Time Best Awards. In 2019, French newspaper Le Figaro... Le what? <laughs> Le what? <laughs> <laughs> that one I'll leave in because that was too funny. <laughs> Dude, you just you literally made the emo girl sound rar. <laughs> uh selected the series as one of the six recommended manga at the Paris Book Fair this year. And finally in 2021, TV Asahi's manga. Uh, poll of 150,000 people voted uh, it as their third favorite manga series behind only One Piece and Demon Slayer. That's so, wild. Before you move on, last, before you move on, yeah. one last thing. I did some quick math on the um, the gross income for Spirited Away, and actually it adjusted for 2022 dollars, uh, it would have beaten. Um, Demon Slayer because it adjusted for inflation um, the 395 million it comes out to 654 million dollars 59,123 so a little quick math for you folks Spirited Away was huge like that was a lot of people's first and you know what else was huge inflation (laughs) at a rate of 65.3% Jesus yeah um yeah, so uh, essentially, I, I think what these numbers highlight is, A, it's been very popular for a long time. Um, and kind of like always considered within like the top 10 uh, kind of around the world. But like, I, I think if you asked nearly anyone in America, like top 10 manga, like Slam Dunk would usually not be in that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, looking at the manga numbers until it was broken in 2002 volumes 21 through 23 of slam dunk held the record for initial printing of a manga at 2.5 million copies. Wow. The collected volumes of slam dunk have sold over a hundred million copies by 2004. 
over 118 million by 2012, and over 121 million by 2014. By 2017, 170 million copies were in circulation. The first six volumes of the 2018 Shinsoban edition of the original manga all reached top eight within their release week, with the highest being the first volume at number two. This resulted in Slam Dunk being the fourth best-selling manga in 2018, with 5.2 million copies sold and the ninth top-selling media franchise of 2018, with an estimated sales of $3.4 billion, or $25 million U.S., Slam Dunk was the third best-selling manga series for the first half of 2023, uh, period between November 2022 and May 2023, with over 4.1 million copies sold, um, which I think probably has a lot to do with the movie. Yeah. So, if you didn't know, now you know. If you don't that know, slam dunk now by the you numbers. know. <laughs> um, That's wild. So, yeah. Uh, it, it's huge and i feel like i have not given its due respect and i really want to go see the movie yeah i mean you know i I consider myself to be somewhat of a of a connoisseur of anime and manga you know i i I, as much of a hack and a fraud as i am i do try to take you know my my position as the the one of the best boys seriously and i've never really given slam dunk really any attention beyond knowing that it is it is well regarded so uh, you know, maybe I'm going to have to change that in the near future. Yeah. Um, speaking of change, we're going to switch modes over to some crime news. That's right, Best Buds, we got some crime news for you. And this one comes with a little bit of a trigger warning as it will deal with uh, topics of suicide and assisted suicide. Um, But it's also a super bizarre story that uh, I think is worth hearing about. So Shochiku uh, announced that it has canceled all the performances of the Kabuki play adaptation of Demon Slayer Kabeth. Kimetsu no Yaiba's manga due to various circumstances, quote-unquote. Shochiko also used wording that meant the play had been postponed, but it did not provide any information about when the play might run instead. The play is part of the Super Kabuki second series, which incorporates contemporary technology into traditional kabuki. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Uh, Ichikawa Inosuke 4 had been... Oh, yeah, it really is a nosuke. Um, had been slated to uh, serve as the play's general director, and he would have also appeared in the play. However, the actor was indicted on July 28th for allegedly assisting in his parents' double suicide on May 17th and 18th. Prosecutors believe that it was part of a family suicide pact. On May 17th, Inosuke allegedly gave his parents excessive sleeping drugs, which led to their deaths before collapsing himself. Inosuke's manager found the bodies in their home in Tokyo around 10.15 a.m. on May 18th. Although Inosuke's parents had already passed, Inosuke was found 
quote-unquote, cautious but in a hazy condition, and taken to the hospital. According to investigative sources, Inosuke had also attempted to commit suicide. On the day of the incident, a weekly magazine had published a report about Inosuke's alleged involvement in bullying and sexual abuse, some involving actors and theater staff. According to the Mainichi, uh, Inosuke told an investigative source, a weekly magazine uh, report prompted us to hold a family meeting and we decided to say goodbye. Inosuke was arrested on June 27th on suspicion of assisting in his mother's death. He was also served another arrest warrant on July 18th on suspicion of assisting in his father's death as well. Um, which is also interesting that it's like three weeks apart that he's served those arrest warrants. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, invest, it's a, it's a crazy situation. I'm sure the investigation was not as straightforward as you might believe. Yeah. Well, I mean, what a bizarre story. Yeah. Like a article comes out about how he's like bullying and sexually abusing, uh, like his, people he works with or work for him yeah uh and then he's like time for a family meeting we're all gonna say goodbye because i got a bad <laughs> article because i did bad things allegedly yeah this is this is a crazy story dude like um when i saw so if you were all looking forward to some demon slayer kabuki with some modern technology Fuck you. No, sorry. sorry. I was so excited. I don't know why I did that. That was like, did you so see that aggressive. thing I sent you where it was like, hey guys, I just want to know if you'd ever be there for me. Yes. I don't know why I did I that. It's just like, no, I, I want to go to your funeral knowing I could have changed the outcome. <laughs> Sorry, best buds. I've, I've had a lot of sake. <laughs> that was good. All right. Anyway. No, that was when I when I saw on the outline uh, news about the Demon Slayer Kabuki play. This was not what I, what I expected. <laughs> this is not where you thought it was going to no, go. No, <laughs> this is crazy, dude. This is wild. Um, yeah. you know, first off, off rip, uh, don't kill your parents, best buds. That's a bad idea. Um, yeah, that is, that is our, our best, that is our, <laughs> our official, best boy stance. Our official podcast stance on killing your parents is just say no. Um, but yeah, this is crazy. I, I don't have, I wish I had the capacity to give better commentary than that, but I'm a hack and a fraud. So all I got is that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that story is crazy enough to speak for itself. And I think with that, it's probably time to get into some of our upcoming shows. Yeah, I'm sorry I said fuck uh, you, best buds. <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh, I'm not sorry. This fall, this fall, High Dive is screening uh, The Tunnel to Summer, The Exit of Goodbyes, an anime film uh, in theaters. So I think it's interesting High Dive is getting into the the film screening game. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited because that's kind of like the next logical step in High Dive's kind of journey to becoming a competitor to Crunchyroll, which I think they are pretty much there. Like, you know, like I feel like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if competitor is the right word, but they are definitely in on the same playing field. They have 
filled the void that Funimation left. Right, which is interesting because Funimation also wasn't really a competitor of Crunchyroll because it basically the way it was and the way it's always been is you had Crunchyroll and if you had the money to, you also had Funimation, right? Yeah. The, there was nobody who was – there was no argument between what was better, Funimation or Crunchyroll. It's always been Crunchyroll. Um, and I guess that's kind of where we're at with, now with High Dive, which – except it's not necessarily a matter of cost because High Dive is still relatively affordably priced. Um, I think it's more or less does High Dive have something that you want to watch? Um, and I think them expanding their repertoire, especially in this regard, is making that more often to anime viewers to be a yes, that they do have something that you want to watch. Um, so, yeah, I think this is really this is a this is the, the logical next step for High Dive. Um, but more specifically, as opposed to just in the fall, uh, in October, we have some some upcoming things to look forward to. We've got Girlfriend Girlfriend season two. Um, so Best Boy Dan, I know you're going to be looking forward to that. Um, Hell yeah. We have My New Boss is Goofy, which looks really fun. Goblin Slayer season two. We've been waiting for a Hell very yeah. long time for this. Um, I'm super excited for this. I cannot wait for Goblin Slayer season two. Um and then we've got news from uh, 16-Bit Sensation, Another Layer, um, which is based on a manga that follows Meiko Uehara, a college student who begins working part-time at a PC shop in 1992. However, this shop is a front for its actual business and erotic game developer for Bishoujo Games. Due to the sudden departure of the staff, Meiko ends up as a sub-graphic artist. Even though she has never drawn an adult illustration before, her life as a creator begins as she strives to make an erotic game without snafus. And I cannot wait for this show to come out, because holy shit. <laughs> right? Doesn't that sound so much fun? I cannot wait. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I think that's one of the ones I'm really excited for um, this this upcoming fall. Yeah. Um but looking even further ahead in January, uh, we are getting my instant death ability is so overpowered. Um, sounds like another isekai. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we're getting a returning show. High Card is getting a second season, which is interesting. I wouldn't mind going back to check out what's happening in High Card. Yeah, me neither. Uh, High Card actually almost made my list for the catch-up shows we were going to do this this time around, but it didn't quite make it. But I am looking forward to it. I will probably catch up before the new episode, uh, before the new season comes out. Um, but uh, looking even forward into the future, we've got April coming out in April specifically, which is the spring uh, season in 2024. We have Kaiju number eight um, yes. coming out. They have just released another teaser. Um, it's looking interesting. Dan, you read the manga, right? I haven't read the manga. I'm just somewhat familiar with the story. Yeah, it's this is going to be a big shonen. Like I'm calling it now. It, it's like more in the vein of like, um, oh, what's the one with the neighbors and the um, you were watching it for a while. The neighbors. Yeah, the aliens are the neighbor, are called neighbors, and they have like little box world trigger. Oh, world trigger! I love world trigger. I wish that would come back. Yeah, well, it, it's like kind of like that type of shonen. Um, 
but you know with like kaiju like that kind of feel to it yeah um so it'll be fun um and then yeah and eventually someday because it's been announced we're gonna get the fourth uh my hero academia film which i'm excited about i always enjoy uh the my hero movies yeah my hero puts out a consistently good anime movie um and specifically an anime movie that i enjoy watching in the theater most of the times i do not watch anime movies in theaters no matter how much i like the movie i really only go out for my hero what else did we do we did jujutsu kaisen um, I went for Mobile Suit Gundam Kukuru's Dones Island, but like other than that, I don't really go out to the movies for an anime film. Um, so looking forward to this. Um, so yeah, I think uh, that about does it for our upcoming shows. Um, so let me go ahead and talk a little bit about some shows that are running right now, or are they? They're not because they're delayed. Um, we've got some delays going on. Um, the first one that we're going to talk about is, uh, the official website for the television anime of my tiny senpai, which I really love this show, um, has announced that the anime's sixth episode will be delayed by one week. The anime will go on hiatus on August 12th and then episode six will air on August 19th instead. Um, But in addition to that, another show that we've actually been talking about pretty much most of this episode so far, um, Zom 100, uh, Bucket List of the Dead, has announced that they will also be delayed. The anime's fifth episode will be delayed to August 13th. Um, A special program titled Zom 100, uh, Zom 100 Special Program, 100 Things You Need to Prepare to Run Away from Zombies, uh, aired instead in Japan on Sunday, August 6th, with the fifth episode being released the following week. Um, no no updates on what is causing these delays. Both shows have just um, kind of listed quote-unquote production delays um, as the reason why. So anybody's guess as to why that is. Could it be, you know, a, a resurgence of COVID in the studios? Possibly. Um, it could just come down to the fact that they just hadn't finished it in time. Um, so we'll probably never know, but if you are following those two shows, just keep that in mind. It's a bummer. It is a bummer, you know, but you know what? If it is really production delays, I would rather them release it late rather than have to rush, um, and, and produce yeah. some good content. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So next up in anime news, uh, Crunchyroll has announced that it added popular anime titles, including Chainsaw Man, Spy Family, Vinland Saga, Blue Lock, Licorice Recoil, My Dress Up Darling, and more to its ad-supported catalog on Tuesday. So you might remember we talked about this uh, when it first happened, and we kind of haven't really touched, checked back in on it lately. Um, but basically, Crunchyroll, um, it used to be um, everything was available for free with ads, right? And if you wanted no ads, you paid extra. Now it has gone to the model where... It's got basically like everything is premium and certain shows are only available for free uh, with ads. Um, so, you know, they, the, the we haven't had any major examples of them expanding their content until now. Um, but Crunchyroll users who signed up for a free user account can watch the added uh, advertising VODs for free. The titles are available in the U.S., Canada, 
uh, the United Kingdom, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. But Crunchyroll has clarified that titles in other territories may vary. Um, so here is the list of the titles you can now watch for free with ads on Crunchyroll. Um, the not not the whole list, but the the ones they just added. Um, so you have Beast Tamer, Blue Lock, Bochi the Rock, Bungo Stray Dogs, Campfire Cooking in Another World with My Absurd Skill, uh, Chainsaw Man, Code Geass, Lelouch of the Revolution, The Daily Life of the Immortal King, Don't Toy With Me, Miss Nagatoro, Golden Kamui, Licorice Recoil, Mobile Suit Gundam, The Witch from Mercury, My Dress Up Darling, Ranking of Kings, The Reincarnation of the Strongest Exorcist in Another World, Soul Eater, Spy Family, Vinland Saga, and Yona of the Dawn. Um, That's a good list. It is a pretty good list. (laughs) There's a lot of really good shows in there. I would actually like, you know, for people who are just getting into anime, like if someone was asking me like, hey, what should I watch? I would say, listen, you could go to Crunchyroll and if you want to watch with ads, I can recommend you several of the titles that you can watch for free with ads on Crunchyroll. Like Bochi the Rock, uh, Chainsaw Man, Miss Nagatoro, Licorice Recoil, Golden Kamui. My you know, like there are a lot of really good shows on here. Um, Spy Family. Yes, Spy Family. Um, and it, it's interesting, too, because it, it's, it's a lot of good shows in a pretty diverse variety of genres. Um, yeah, there's definitely something for everyone there. Yeah. So, you know, if you've been if, you, if you're if you're, you know, on the fence, if you if you typically don't use Crunchyroll, um, maybe this is your option to watch some shows um, without having to pay them any money, which is fine with me. They are not a sponsor of ours, um, and they probably won't ever be. But if they are ever interested in the future, then I will say nice things about you. Um, but speaking of saying nice things, um, you know, that about does it for our anime news this week. Why don't you find us on social media and say nice things? Um, and you can do so on Instagram at bestboys underscore pod. You can also send us an email at thebestboyspod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, rate and review us five stars. Let your friends know about us. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to growing the brand. So the best way to do that is for you uh, to, inter- to, to interact with us. Um, but speaking of interacting with things, Best Boy Dan, I think it's time for us to interact with the meat and potatoes of this week's episode. Fuck you. You remember the time I told our audience to go fuck themselves? I mean, seriously, though, uh, Crunchyroll should sponsor us for this episode because I'm shilling for them with my three uh, shows that I caught up on. Um, I picked Hell's Paradise, Ascendance of a Bookworm Season 3, and Licorice Recoil. Um, Of those three, Best Boy Justin, which of those have you completed? Uh, I have completed Ascendance of a Bookworm and Licorice Recoil. I'm like two or three, two episodes away from the end of Hell's Paradise. Okay, so you, you mostly know what's going on. Yeah, for the uh, most part. I won't spoil the end for you, uh, except for everyone dies. Okay, cool. Um, which is actually not a spoiler because that's kind of what the show is. I mean, that's what life is. Um, it's, We're just going to so go over that. It's a pretty okay, bloody cool. show. 
Uh, yeah. Um, Hell's Paradise uh, airs on Crunchyroll and has a sub and a dub available. It comes from Studio Mappa, who has done Jujutsu Kaisen, Chainsaw Man, Yuri on Ice, Kakiguri, Doro Hidoro, the second season of all of your favorite animes, basically. Um, directed by Kaori uh, Mikat, uh, Mikita. I got there. You got there. Uh, <laughs> written it's, it's by. Kaori, but okay. There we go. Uh, written by Nozomi Ishii mm-hmm. uh, and music by Akira Kindaichi. Um, with and I have to give a special shout out to the uh, opening song, which is "Work" by Millennium Pay, uh, Parade and Shina Ringo, um, which is might be my top op of the year personally okay um i listen to it all the time still um and a lot of sheena ringo's music um but for those who don't know the synopsis is uh as follows captured during an assassination mission gabi maro the hollow is sentenced to be executed but nothing seems to kill him due to his superhuman body believing his love for his wife to be subconsciously keeping him alive executioner yamada aseman sagiri offers him the chance between uh to be pardoned of all crimes uh by the shogunate if he finds the elixir of life on shinsekyo uh, a legendary realm recently discovered southwest of the kingdom after losing five expedition teams sent to the island this time the shogunate sends a group of death row convicts the convicts are each given a yamada aseman executioner who must return with uh in order to obtain the pardon um it's kind of like samurai suicide squad <laughs> i dig it so yeah, uh, I think some highlights of the show are uh, great monster designs. Uh, like it, it's this weird amalgamation of like a whole bunch of Eastern religions, and so there's all this kind of religious iconography in the monsters, but nothing fully makes sense, and that's also used as part of the plot development, um, and even the the kind of main bad guys, um, which are these kind of immortal godlike beings, can kind of metamorphize between female and male, and the way that that is used in their character designs and how they interact and how the world works together is very interesting. Um, it, I think it is one of the more unique shows we had and you know it's a seinen show for sure which we don't usually get a ton of um it has some incredible action sequences like mm. the fights are are if we have like some fight best fight contentions i think it's going to be up there yeah hell's paradise um, had some fantastic battle scenes yeah especially with the the kind of immortal godlike beings of the island like and, and very creative stuff like each of the suicide squad people have like very unique uh kind of ninja skills and stuff yeah one um, of them does my come only kind of, <laughs> my only kind of critique of the show which is kind of especially apparent watching having watched like the beginning of it um week to week and then watching the end of it like 
one right after another is once they introduce the like uh, concept of like Tao or or you know whatever the spirit energy of the magic system of this world is it the kind of second half of the show becomes like everyone like hey we have to learn this to defeat the bad guys so it's just kind of like a mini training arc which feels awkward and a little rushed yeah um so uh, kind of a minor complaint i'm so happy i picked this one up this is one from last season that like it last season was just super stacked and it's been a crazy summer so it was just hard to keep up with pretty much anything and finish most of the shows last season so i was this is one that i really wanted to come back to okay so i'm glad we had the opportunity to um, I, I think it's worth you watching the next couple of episodes because I, my kind of big hope from finishing this show and my big takeaway is like I really want a second season of this because I, I want more. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have been meaning to finish this one. The railroad has had other plans for me. Um, I, <laughs> I've been working like a minimum of like 56 hours a week uh, lately. But like um, I really love the kind of everything about this show especially like like you said it's like uh, it's like you know anime suicide squad almost and um i like i think the premise of it is very interesting and uh yeah I'm, uh, this show is one that i'm definitely going to be doing some catch uping on uh fairly soon yeah and and oh and the kind of last thing i want to say about it is gorgeous just the oh, animation yeah. of it like the the world has like flowers are such a big part of it mm. and it is I it is easily the most colorful anime on on air that season for sure. I like to um, imagine that the the mangaka was like, I want to draw flowers, and then his editor was like, No one's ever gonna buy flowers. You gotta draw violence, and he's like, Well, I'm gonna draw violence with my flowers then. <laughs> um, which also yeah. just for some reason very weirdly reminded me of one of my favorite romance manga, which was about a scary florist. But we'll go there another day. Yeah, this uh, this show makes flowers very scary. It does. <laughs> um, but also, yes, like like I remember the scene where you remember the two kind of gender changing demon people are first mm-hmm. introduced. That scene yeah, yeah. was animated particularly beautifully. Um, I remember being stunned by the animation for that one. Well, so here's what I'll say about this show, too, is that I read the manga beforehand and i got about two or three volumes into it but the anime overtook where i was in the manga and i just really enjoyed the anime so much that i was like all right i'm not even gonna continue with the manga i just i want to see it in the anime form because of the color aspect of it because of how well the fight sequences are animated and everything in the manga is in there too so yeah, you get everything from the manga and more. I think in this case. Okay, interesting. All right. Um, so, one that you definitely will get more from the manga is Ascendance of a Bookworm season three, uh, which is also on Crunchyroll, also subbed and dubbed. I am also going to tell you that I watched all three of these shows dubbed, uh, which uh, for Hell's Paradise was good. Ascendance of a Bookworm is good, except for mine is awful. Really? 
Um, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say awful because that's someone's job and they worked and I'm sure they tried very hard. But I just no, I think you can make a valid critique of it. I think, you know, I think that's fair. The, compared to the Japanese voice, like you don't, it just doesn't fit the character in my opinion. Okay. Um, and is kind of grating. Um, it's kind of just that like annoying child voice. Okay. That's fair. Um, but yeah, it's from studio, uh, I Jido, uh, or do, uh, who did how not to summon a demon Lord kimono G hen, which is also a show I kind of want to go back to. You should. It was good. Um, and the previous seasons of Ascendance of a Bookworm. Uh, it was directed by Mitsuru Hongo, who I have a little bit of background information on. He uh, formerly worked at Ajido uh, as an animator, but moved to Shin Ai Animation, where he directed Cranchin Chan. Uh, he left in 96 and went on to direct the Immortal Grand uh, Prix, uh, Outlaw Star, which is a personal favorite of mine. Raiding, uh, Shamanic Princess, and The Candidate for Goddess. Uh, he also directed and wrote the screenplay for the feature film Soccer Wars, uh, the world, uh, the movie. Um, also, Best Boy Justin, he did uh, World Trigger. Which I love. I love yeah. that about him. Um, it was written by Mariko Kunisawa, and music is by Michiro. Uh, for those who don't know, the story follows Urino Moto. Doso, a book-loving post-secondary college student and soon-to-be librarian who ends up being crushed to death beneath a pile of books at her house during an earthquake. With her dying breath, she wishes to be reincarnated into a world where she can read books forever. Erna wakes in the body of a weak five-year-old girl named Mine, who, in a world where books are not only scarce, but available only to the elites. Mine, retaining her memory from her previous life, decides to create and print her own books so she can read again. Um, it is, this is one of my favorite isekais out there. And I don't know what was wrong with me that season that I didn't keep up with this one. Because um, I love the first season. The first season's very much about, like, her in town with her family kind of trying to navigate this world and like just get the basics of like making paper from scratch and then season two branches into the whole like how the church in this world works which is more of kind of like a, a mana like place where uh tithing is that what you would call it yeah tithing like yeah where place um so it's interesting and then the kind of third season branches into the more geopolitical landscape of this world and kind of the class structure and system between the elites and the common folk um and spoilers the elites are a bunch of dick bags oh my god how um, unusual yeah uh i i I started writing notes on this show and I was like, they do such a good job of portraying how elites are dickbags. And I was just like, I mean, <laughs> they just were, you know, kind of wealthy aristocracy and they did what they do. Um, so it, it is interesting watching her kind of butt up uh, upon the realities of like, 
dealing with the secrets of the paint guilds and how they won't release their proprietary blends for colors and how starting printing books could affect the economy and potentially like harm powerful you know elites that have deals made uh and are the only ones making books and you know things like that so it's it becomes a political game throughout and the third season was excellent yeah i remember i I found it unusual that that best person cat and i watched this and you did not um yeah because it was so good and we were telling you all (laughs) we were telling you all season dan you need to watch this it's so good (laughs) i don't know what was up with me but i finally did and uh i i think the thing that i find most interesting about it is it kind of deals with the ramifications that you don't get a lot in in these shows which is what happens when you introduce technology too fast for a world too right because that's just something that you take for granted that like we had time to you know have the printing press impact us when you know, that technology was more readily available. She's jumping their technology forward hundreds of years. And that is threatening to the ruling class. Um, My downside to this show is how it ends because there's a splash card at the end of it that intimates that that was the end of the animated run of the show. And it very much leaves in a place that is where the story is not complete. That's interesting. It is. I actually don't remember that. Can you remind me in that one? What, how it ends? Well, the, the splash card, what does it say? All right. So the splash card says after this horrible incident has just befallen Maine and she's sitting crying on the floor and you're waiting to see how all of the events that have just occurred are going to play out it cuts it fades to blackout and then the card comes up the story to be told is over period interesting (laughs) uh and there has been no announcement on a season four as of yet so i think it is over in terms of the anime it's fucking better not very sad that's why I'm so angry um, because it just got really good. And I think they're just like, yeah, we're done. We told it. Go read the manga now. Um, which is bullshit. I wanted to see mine lead the peasant revolt because that's where I really hope the show is going. Yeah. And I think one of the one of the kind of death knells for this one as opposed for as far as getting a fourth season goes is that. Basically, like there was kind of a large gap between season two and season three, but Mm -hmm. season three was announced right after the end of season two. Um, But here we are. We are sitting at a year after the end of season three and we don't have any word. Um, So I think it's it's very possible that there will not be a season four, which, you know, I, I this is one that I will probably pick up the manga for, but obviously, given the choice, I would prefer to watch the anime. Agreed. But, you know, at the very least, what I will say is the manga is very pretty looking. 
Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of par for the course because the show itself has been very pretty looking, especially like the way the hair is done. Uh, hair, eyes, clothes oh, just are very the big actual, in this one. Like, books themselves. Oh, of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this is one that I, I hope will get a season four, but I'm not going to be holding my breath. Yeah, this will go into my read the manga to find out what happens list. Um, and then finally to wrap up, uh, I did Licorice Recoil, um, which is one I can't believe I didn't finish. Me uh, neither. I'm, I was mad at you for not finishing this, actually. Because <laughs> that one was just like the standout of that season. Um, this one. Uh, so, OK, so Hell's Paradise, pretty decent uh, dub. Uh, Ascension of a Bookworm, pretty okay, except for mine. Uh, Lycoris Recoil is tricky. It was definitely not the best, but it wasn't terrible. But the problem is that Chisato in Japanese is, like, such a force. Yeah, she's so like, expressive. So it was interesting to watch it because I know that about the the VA, um, but watching it with the English voice actor is obviously a different take. I think she did a very good performance. Um, definitely not, you know, the same. Uh-huh. <laughs> the the it, this one is where the Japanese voice actor is definitely one you should watch for because it, it's a inspired performance. Um, maybe one of the best of that year. Okay. Interesting. Um, but, uh, I will also give a lot of credit to the animation because you do get a lot from Chisito's animation to just how expressive she is and kind yeah. of how bright and bubbly, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, Don't do that. this comes to us from, uh, a one pictures, uh, who's a subsidiary of Sony who has done Sword Art Online, Your Lie in April, Seven Deadly Sins, Fairy Tale, Darling in the Franks, Love is War, and so many more, but it's hard to get any further because they also did Aramanga Sensei, which is a lot. Can I interject with a with 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 a, a an anecdote that doesn't have anything to do with this? Go for it. So this is unrelated to anything, but it's a story that happened to me that I was just reminded of. Um, there was a woman on one of the trains I was working who was wearing a Sword Art Online t-shirt and I so badly wanted to be like, hey, Sword Art Online, that's a great show. But she was being such a pain in the ass that I couldn't. Like, I hate it, <laughs> I hate it when like I'm dealing with someone at work who I want to talk to about stuff, but I can't because they're being assholes. Yeah. I I understand that feeling. Yeah, so um, to that lady, you missed out. Yep. Uh, but you did not miss out on learning that the director was Shingo Adachi, uh, who has done a lot of character design work previously, uh, including for Mega Man uh, Sword Art Online and Working. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written by Shingo Adachi, uh, who you know was the director. Uh, and uh, the music was done by Shuhei Mutsuki. Uh, the synopsis is Takina Inoue is a member of the government-sponsored all-female task force of assassins and spies made up as orphans known as Lycoris. 
licorice, licorice. I think we sure settled on licorice, actually. The English dub says licorice. Well, fuck the English dub. Sorry, I'm so aggressive tonight. <laughs> <laughs> An undercover group named after the flower. Oh, we could probably just look up at the etymology of the flower. I'm pretty sure it's like um, licorice. Uh, who eliminates criminals and terrorists in Tokyo while disguised as high school students to maintain the peace in Japan with roots in a fictional pre-Meiji group known as the Higanbana. Sure. Sure. Uh, however, during the operation to intercept a large exchange of firearms, she starts firing indiscriminately at enemies in order to save a colleague who has been taken hostage, jeopardizing the safety of other licorice in the process. As a result, the agency dismisses her for dis- for disobeying orders. She is then transferred uh, to work with an elite licorice agent, Chisato Nisha Nishikigi, who is known for her involvement in the destruction of the old radio tower on a branch of the agency, which operates undercover as a cafe called Lyco Reco, uh, intending to be reinstated back into the agency. Takina cooperates with Chisito on managing the cafe while the piece is being protected by the Lycoris, uh, is being challenged by terrorists led by Majima. Um, this is an original animation, uh, so it doesn't have any like source material, and it was a great story. And I actually really like how it ended because it left it open to keep going, um, which I know they're doing like manga spinoffs and things like that. Um, I would love to see a second season of it. Apparently, uh, we a talking... second season has been announced, but it, oh, there's, great! Yeah, I... but there's been no news ever since the announcement. I really, really hope that it's. Like a Reco Hawaii Five O. Oh my god, that would be so good. Which is, which is kind of how they leave it, um, but uh, like I could totally see that working and being really enjoyable. Um, but the kind of back and forth between Chisato and the main bad guy, while a little cheesy at times, still was very entertaining. It's I can see why this is like you know, John Wick with school girls. But I think in terms of story wise, it has a lot to offer. So here's the um, thing. I have described it as John Wick with school girls uh, with Japanese school girls. And I don't think that's an insult. I think that is like kind of praise almost because, you know, John Wick has some of the best fight choreography of any of the modern action movies that we have today. And Licorice Recoil is basically the same in anime. Like the fight choreography in Licorice Recoil is absolutely stunning. It's spectacular. We we gave it best fight scene, if, if I'm remembering correctly, um, for the year that this came out in the anime awards. Or maybe it was runner up. I don't remember. Um, it was definitely on the list. Yeah, but it was so good. Um so yeah, I don't I don't necessarily consider that to be a negative. No, I think this is one that like I knew uh, pretty much all of these I knew were like top tier shows. Um, so you know, I was I was talking with Best Boy Justin before we re- started recording the pod and was just saying that this is one of my like favorite episodes we've done because just in terms of like prep, it was like 
okay, go finish three shows that you've been meaning to catch up on and you have to do it. <laughs> and it's like, great. I know three shows. Like I had a list of like nine that I think I narrowed it down from. Nine. Um, but like, you know, I, my other options. Oh yeah. I had uh Dr. Stone, new world, Mashal, Konosuba, or the, Konosuba. Um, the new one that came out. Uh, Ranking of Kings, Vinland Saga, Bofuri, Call of the Night, Love is War. Oh, that's right. I really wanted you to watch Call of the Night. Can we go back and watch Call of the Night, actually? So if we do a second one, I've decided Call of the Night is on the list. Can can you just do it instead? (laughs) Because I really like Call of the Night. Listen, as soon as you finish... uh, Madoka Magica, you can make me watch whatever you want. That's true. I'm actually almost done with it. I was trying to be done with it for this episode, but life didn't cooperate. I I hope you know that I was like scanning your banter segment, and I was just like, could any of these be a red herring for the pack? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not. I won't give you any hints the next time. I'm gonna spring it on you. No, I, I. It'll probably be the next episode. I was really, really trying to do it for this one, but it just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like just, you know, I, listen, all three of these shows are easy recommends. You've kind of heard our feelings on it. Um, I, I don't think there's going to be a show we talk about today that we're not at least somewhat recommending. Actually, that's not true. Well, I'll be interested. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I will be curious to hear Best Boy Justin's take then. Yeah, no, I, I have things to say. Um, the the yeah. shows that you have watched, absolutely, I recommend. Um, yeah. Especially Licorice Recoil, one of my favorite shows that has come out recently. Um, well, I guess I guess the big uh, the big question mark would be uh, Giant Beast of Ours. Then, yeah, yeah, that is so, probably so, one of the, the the one that you would be wondering about. Because um, I know that. Blue Lock is awesome. Why don't you tell me about your experience with it? Yeah. So uh, the first show that I watched, th- this was the one that I like had to watch for this show, uh, for this episode rather, uh, was Blue Lock, which is on Crunchyroll. It comes to us from Studio 8-Bit, who did That Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime, a modern classic. Um, and they also are going to be doing the upcoming Yuru Camp Season 3, um, which is coming out sometime soon. Um, Yay! Yeah, super excited for that. Love me some Yuru Camp. It's probably like one of my favorite slice of life. Um, but we won't get into that right now. Uh, Blue Lock was directed by Tetsuaki Watanabe, who did Haikyuu. Um, so pretty, pretty good pedigree there. Uh, and he yeah. also directed the 21st Pokemon movie, which um, there I didn't realize there were that many, but he did that one. <laughs> Um, I wonder which one that is. It's the 21st. Um, so the synopsis of Blue Lock is Yoichi Isagi was mere moments away from scoring a goal that would have sent his high school soccer team to the Nationals. But a split second decision to pass the ball to his teammate cost him that reality. Bitter, confused and disappointed, Isagi wonders if the outcome could would have been different had he not made the pass. When the young striker returns home, an invitation from the Jap- Japan Football Union awaits him. Through an arbitrary and biased decision-making process, Isagi is one of the 300 under-18 strikers selected for a controversial project named Blue Lock, 
The project's ultimate goal is to turn one of the selected players into the star striker for the Japanese national team. To find the best participant, each diamond in the rough must complete uh, compete against others through a series of solo and team competitions to rise to the top. Putting aside his ethical objections to the project, Isagi feels compelled to fight his way to the top, even if it means ruthlessly crushing the dreams of 299 aspiring young strikers. Um, I did thoroughly enjoy the show. Um, I didn't put it down because it was boring or anything like that. I put it down just because of I think when when the season when this came out was when I was studying to get my job that I'm working now. Um, so it's it, it just wasn't I just didn't have time to finish it. But um, I was glad I came back to it. Uh, I think I had like a grand total of like five episodes to finish on us or maybe six. And oh, that's not so bad. No, it wasn't that bad. Um, and I gotta say, so that, that was the like arc with the like world, like class players, right? The one before that. So I, the, the second, second and third selection is what I had to start with. Um, so cool. That's a lot of fun stuff. I basically, I stopped right at the part where he got sent down where he, he got, (gasps) Oh yeah. Yeah. Where Bachida got picked and he didn't. Yeah. So, yeah, I, and I think th- th- some of the good things about this show, the, the thing that jumps out the most is the Sakuga in this show. And it, this is something we talked about when we first reviewed it. Um, and it's actually it comes to uh, Geo from our anime podcast um, was talking about. It, and that's when I when my first exposure to it, because he read the manga. And when he was talking about the manga, he said that the Sakuga is interesting in the show because it doesn't start crazy. It it starts with like realistic kind of, oh, this guy can shoot a really good goal into the upper right corner of the goal post or, you know, simple things like that. But as the show progresses and as they become more proficient in their particular, you know, with the thing they specialize in in soccer, their the Sakuga for their moves becomes more and more pronounced and that is one of the things I really enjoyed about this show. Um, it had probably it had Sakuga that I think would be on par with if we're going to compare it to something that isn't a sports anime. I would say something like Fire Force, which, in my opinion, had a hmm. phenomenal Sakuga. Um, yeah. And uh, I think it, it was really, really well done in a way that didn't feel overbearing, you know, um, other than that, uh, the storytelling was really well done. Um, and it, it, it was really well done in the way that it didn't necessarily surprise me at every turn, but it took the directions in the story that I would have liked to see it go. So, like, for example, and I'm trying to be vague so as not to spoil anything, but Best Boy Dan, what the, in episode 22, towards the end, right, it would have made sense for the mm-hmm. team to win, right? And the way the way it was it was cut off at the end was that that team was going to win, right? But when I was thinking about it while I was watching the show, I was like, I cannot understand. Like, I can't. If the team wins, I can't see where the story is going to go, right? But then the team lost, and I knew exactly where it was going to go from there. And I think that that is one of the things that I like to see about a show, especially a sports anime, is demonstrating how a loss can progress the story. I mean, you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the things that, um, Ace of the diamond does particularly well. Absolutely. Is, is 
you know, taking a character, building them up, and then breaking them down so they can build up again stronger. Yeah, and that is like that is literally the power that our main character has. Isagi, his his strength is in being able to deconstruct his thought process with regards to soccer and readjust the entire way he approaches the game, you know, on a play by play basis. And I think the way that they kind of make that work in the story is really well done. Um, And it allows the show to move forward in a way that feels exciting every time, you know? Um, Yeah, I think so for me, I, I, I think this show kind of, crystallizes what I find so thrilling about sports anime and probably what people (laughs) find thrilling about sports in general is, is the hype, right? Is that like moment where it's like that tension and you're like, Oh my God, like you have to score this goal in the next five seconds or it's all over. Like that, that kind of like building of it. And, and I, you know, knowing that it's directed by the same person who did Haikyuu, like in terms of sports anime, I would say Haikyuu is probably the best at, you know, building and delivering on hype. Yeah. Um, to just get those kind of moments where the tension mm. is just so tight and then it snaps. I would maybe recommend Ahiro no Sora in that regard, but yes, Haikyuu is very good at it. Um, but one of the things I really like about sports anime and one of the things that this show does particularly well is managing the stakes, right? So if we're watching yeah. a shonen, like a battle anime, um, you know, it, the stakes are life and death. So the character has to live. Otherwise, the story ends. Right. But when you look at Mm -hmm. sports anime, you can lose. Losing is an option that does not end the story. And that's one of the things Mm -hmm. that I really enjoy about a sports anime. And that was one of my qualms about this show, because it is first, you know, portrayed as a win or go home story right in blue lock if you lose you go home and like it's not covered in the synopsis but basically if you get kicked out of blue lock you are no longer ever eligible to play for the japan national soccer team um yeah you're you're done your soccer career is over um and the way they managed to incorporate the ability to lose and grow but still have this cutthroat win or go home environment, I think is what lies at the core of what makes this show so good. Yeah. And, and they, they do it well too, because they establish like right off the bat that like no one is safe too. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Cause the, the first thing that happens is like, the highest ranked person gets like kicked off. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and the reasoning behind it, I'm not going to give it away because it's a sequence that I think is very core to the, the way the show works um, is something that carries on throughout the rest of the season. I would say I also love the fact that it's kind of the anti shonen. It is. Yeah. Right? Power of friendship doesn't <laughs> like, mean jack shit in this show. Yeah, like power of friendship is like fine, except for you have to now stab your best friend in the back. Yeah, and I think in order to to proceed out of out of the episodes that I had to watch for this show, one of the most satisfying 
um, parts of it has been watching Isagi learn because like what the first thing that he learns, right? Like he's basically rebuilding his concept of how he plays soccer. And the first thing he learns is how to view the opponents on the field as his weapon, his tools, his tools for how he can score a goal. Right. But one of the big evolutions in his thought process is how he can use his teammates as tools to score a goal. Now, notice I said that how he can use them, not how he can work mm-hmm. with them. And I think like that is getting to the core of what you're talking about with this being an anti shonen because it's not the most important part of his growth as a as a as a striker as a soccer player is not how he gets along with its, his team it is how he uses his teammates to score his own goals and i think that is a very important part of the show and one that i really appreciate yeah i mean and also you have like the fact that it, you know there's the supporting characters right yeah. who you you know you don't see but you expect to like come back you know after they kind of get separated and things like that like it'll it'll just be so cold and cutthroat at times that it'll be like hey where's this guy and they'll be like oh this person who like meant a lot to you doesn't even get like an on-screen like defeat yeah oh my god like the guy (laughs) that they sent home at the end and they literally yeah, that was brutal. They, the, the only epilogue he gets is they just show him walking down a hallway and it's like, holy shit. Like that means more and than like, if we watch him lose on screen. That one got me because I was like, oh, there's there's no question he'll yeah. you know, come back later down the road. And it was just like it was just so like not even a thing. It was just like, no, he couldn't do it. Yeah, he's he was too weak. Um Yeah. And I think one of one of the other things I wanted to mention before I finish up with Blue Lock, um, just because we were talking about voice acting earlier, is the okay. So we have to talk about the the top five, right? The the top five team. Oh, I thought I thought yes, we definitely do. I thought you were going to talk about how there's like apparently a Bakugo in like oh yeah, <laughs> so many anime these days. We can talk about that all day. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about so you remember at the end the towards the end where they yeah, bring in the where top they speak five English. Yeah. And <laughs> the thing that strikes me about that, okay, they had they bring in five characters who only speak English on screen, right? Out of those five characters, two are tolerable. One of them is <laughs> on the edge. Okay, so the British guy, his voice acting is pretty good. The yeah. Argentinian guy is tolerable. Everybody else is just awful. And <laughs> it's really my point in this regard. And this is where a lot of anime and it is a, it's a thing from a Western perspective. So um, it's not an actual critique of anime itself, because ultimately it doesn't matter what I think about the English speaking because it's not designed for me. But like if you were going to have characters who only speak English on screen anyway, why not just have native English speakers play the roles? Like there's no reason to get somebody to get a Japanese voice actor whose English is just not good to or or hire one whose English is good. I but I so the thing that's so weird to me about that is as I understand it from a cultural perspective 
and this is, you know, obviously generalizing, but typically Japanese people will refrain from speaking English unless they are like pretty much fluent. Uh, if they can avoid it, um, because they don't want to do a bad job of it. That's actually that has not been my experience living in Japan, but maybe that is more common widely culturally. Um, But anyway, continue. um, But to the point of you would think that if that is the case and and quality of how you speak a language is important that they would hire voice actors who because it, it it's it's almost like you have these five voice actors and like two of them you know took like you know seven years of english they you know did it in junior high high school and college and then you have like the other three who took a couple of years back in junior high and it wasn't you know they switched to french in high school mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean that's and, the and thing like and that's what it sounds like <laughs> that's the only part of it that bothers me is that like they only speak English on screen like so. OK, so uh, English speaking in Japan is notoriously in anime is bad. Notoriously. Right. Like anytime they have a character who just decides to randomly speak English, it's always bad. Right. But like usually that comes pudding. in the context. Pudding. Usually that comes in the context of a character who on screen usually speaks Japanese but occasionally we'll say a couple English words, right? But in this case, the characters, all five of them, not a single one says a word in Japanese the entire time. They all speak English the whole time and there's Japanese subtitles. So why not just get five English voice actors to just do those roles? Like, it's so bad. Anyway, that is my one that is my one ick about what, having watched this was that that sequence was so bad, especially the Brazilian dude. His English was unrecognizable as English. <laughs> like I needed to yeah. read the subtitles to understand what he was saying. And I am a native English. Oh, speaker. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember that. Um, but anyway, that's Blue Lock. Uh, highly recommend. Definitely, you know, as somebody who is not interested in soccer at all, like at all, I do not watch it. I do not care about it in real life. I enjoyed this show, so I highly recommend it. Um, next up, we have Giant Beasts of Ours. Um, this is our first title that we're going to talk about that's going to be on High Dive instead of Crunchyroll. Um, and uh, it comes to us from Asahi Production, um, who did um, Peach Boy Riverside, A Galaxy Next Door, um, but mostly just Magical Girl stuff that I've never seen because it's not my type of thing. Um, which is fine. That's, you know, whatever. But uh, it was directed by Akira Oguro. Um, who hasn't had a whole lot of work as a director, but he has worked on My Hero Academia Season 3, uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runners, and Isaacin as a key animator. Um, and he also did the storyboards for Attack on Titan, the final season, and Evangelion. Um, so he, while he's not like a, a prolific director, he is highly involved in uh, anime uh, in the industry. Um 
So the synopsis of the show is in the world of ours, humans lead a decades long war against giant beasts that ravage the lands and feed on their resources. Those tasked with fighting them are champions called Nagimori, who utilize the destructive power of Kanagi, beings gifted with uncontrollable magical powers. It's also worth noting that these terms are localized in the subtitles to be instead of Nagimori, they are paladins. Um, instead of Kanagi, they are clerics. I don't know why they do that, but that's why they do. That's what they do. Um, while mourning the death of his war partner, forming, former Nagimori Jiro crosses paths with Kumi, a young woman who has just awakened her magical powers. After the pair form a contract to save the city from a giant beast attack, Jiro learns that Kumi has escaped the laboratory and is being hunted by the underlings of Mezami, the head of the research facility. Reluctantly agreeing to help Kumi flee her pursuers, Jiro starts traveling with his new partner and her friend Mia, uh, a young girl with a cat headdress. As the unlikely trio wanders the Arisian lands, top officials begin setting their plans into motion, and the group of adventurers soon discover that men are to be feared more than monsters. Um, I was actually really excited to pick this one back up and very disappointed with how it ended. I was surprised this was one of the ones that you had picked, actually. I, you know, I had been thinking about it for a long time because I really enjoyed the way the character of Kumi was portrayed. um, And I wanted to come back to it. And where I left off on it was not in a bad place. Like, again, this was in the same kind of season where I just I had to give up a bunch of shows because I just didn't have the time to watch them. Um and when I came back to it, I was very disappointed to find that, um, you know, it basically kind of takes a turn. It, it, it kind of does a darling in the Franks almost. So, like, you know, um, without getting too much into spoilers, but, you know, I guess if you want to watch this show, spoilers ahead, you know, skip forward or whatever. Um, the big bad guy, Mizami, right? He dies in like five minutes. Um in a battle that is very underwhelming. It's like completely, it's almost a blip on the radar. It doesn't even matter. Um, That's a bummer. Yeah. And like one of the big things like Mia, she is a part of a, a race called a chapeau. Right. And basically it's these race, uh, this race of like little clone beings, like these girls who all look exactly the same. And the only difference is that they have a small animal on their head and it's a different animal for each girl. So like there's a cat, there's a cow, there's a, you know, turtle chapeau, whatever. And they actually have a really interesting kind of like narrative arc that is just completely abandoned. Um, and we never find out any more about it. Um, and the the way the show ends, like the last three episodes are basically like a funeral arc. Um, and it's just the final battle is underwhelming. Um, they, they spent a long time building this really interesting world and then they do nothing with it. Um, and it just becomes like, a there's at the end, there's like a deus ex machina. Um, there's an entire like civilization that had just never been talked about before. That is like all powerful and is what helps the heroes like triumph over the big bad who is actually not really even that big or bad or scary. Um, all of the political intrigue going on behind the scenes basically amounts to nothing. 
Um, it, it just the story did not end in a satisfying way. I was very disappointed in this one. That's too bad. Yeah. So, you know, that was that uh, I was, you know, I don't recommend it if you started watching it and then stopped like I did. Just don't bother with it. Picking back up. Um, Honestly, my biggest takeaway from this, because I started to watch it and it seemed interesting. But my biggest takeaway from this is I kind of want to go back and watch Peach Boy Riverside. I never started it. Um, that was one of the ones I never watched. So maybe I should do that, too. It was kind of interesting. Well, we'll have to put that one back on the board. Um, and finally, I'm really interested to hear about the next one. You would be. You would be. The next one that I have on my list is Akiba Made War. Comes to us from High Dive. Um, it's done by Studio PA Works, who did another Buddy Daddies, Aquatope on White Sands, Angel Beats. Pretty decent resume. Um, comes to us from director Soichi Masui, who did Bunny Girl Senpai, so that's huge. Um, but other than that, they've also done storyboards for Soul Eater, Full Metal Alchemist, Shamari Champloo, and season five of My Hero Academia. Um, the synopsis for this one is the innocent Nagomi Wahira has always admired the cute girls serving at maid cafes. Hoping to fulfill her dream of becoming one, she moves to Akihabara to work at the maid cafe Ton Tokotan, which is an onomatopoeia that literally translates to like oinky oink cafe. Um, Nagomi's first day seems completely normal until she has to run an errand at a rival maid cafe along with her fellow recruit, the mature Ranko Manin. There, things quickly go south, and Nagomi soon gets her first taste of Akihabara's violent maid wars. As she watches Ranko calmly battle her way through a horde of gun and knife wielding maids, Nagomi realizes that maid cafes are drastically unlike what she had envisioned. While struggling to reconcile her expectations with the harsh reality she finds herself in, Nagomi searches for the enjoyment she once saw in the lives of maids. Now, I would also like to point out that that. Um that her fighting her way through that horde of uh, guns and knife wielding maids is actually choreographed to music. And it's amazing. It is really good. All of the fight scenes in this show are really good. I actually did not finish this one. Um, I watched probably an additional three episodes. So I'm probably around like episode nine of 12 on this one. I didn't stop watching it because it was bad. It is good. And I do intend to finish it um, at some point in the probably very near future. Um, because it, it, the things that it, it has going for it, it does really well. It is basically a seinen battle anime where the characters are basically gangster maids. So, like, they go around beating each other up with pipes and bats and guns and stuff. So, like, there's nothing not to like about this show. It's great. Um... The music is really good. Uh, the fight scenes are done really well. It's funny. Um, but basically what happened, and this happens on a periodic basis for me, is I randomly got the urge to take down some One Piece. That's what that's what killed me from getting the last three episodes of this done. Justin forgot the assignment. <laughs> I forgot the assignment, but I know I kind of didn't because it's the catch up episode and I kind of caught up on a little bit of one piece. I mean, I'm at episode <laughs> 120 now of what is there? A thousand and fifty seven. So like, yeah, you're like I'm making, there. I'm making progress. Um, so I'm just going to talk before we end the episode. I'll talk very briefly about some one piece since that's what I actually spent a lot of time watching. 
Um, I love the show. It's great. I'm actually, you know, I'm in the Alabasta arc for those of you who are watching One Piece. So you'll know where I'm at. Um, I'm right at the end of the Alabasta arc and I'm finally I'm fully sold on it now. Like the first arc that I watched the first season, um, I was kind of sold like I, I was interested. I had I had a curiosity about the show. But I feel like it's that second arc that really pushed me over the edge. Um, and, you know, th this show on on first blush, it kind of seems like a very silly. Typical shonen, you know, fair. You've got silly things like you have banana gators and you have Kung Fu dugongs. And these things sound very ridiculous. <laughs> hey, Kung Fu dugongs are very serious. Clearly. Um, but you have these kind of things that seem very silly on the surface. But then, you know, the story itself has a habit of very suddenly becoming incredibly serious. Um, and it kind of it, the, the way the, the 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 narrative is written, it kind of ebbs and flows like you'll have a series of times where it's very comedic and silly and fun. And then all of a sudden it'll turn on a dime and be very serious and interesting and introspective. All of the characters have really interesting growth. And one of the things that I respect the most about this show is that the characters are constantly confronted with decisions that they have to make that are very serious. And they are always held to account for the um, consequences of their actions. And that is what basically drives the story is the 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 consequences that their decisions have, um, not just on their own lives, but the lives of the people around them. And that is how the story is built. And I think that um, that is something that I, this show offers that a lot of shonen maybe doesn't necessarily. Um, so I don't know. I'm not recommending this show to anybody because, you know, we were joking about it, but I have watched 120 episodes and I'm barely 10 percent through the show. So, like, I can't in good conscience recommend you like, hey, you should watch a thousand <laughs> episodes of a show. And to be also very transparent about it, like, you know, you might not be fully hooked until 100 episodes in. And that is a huge commitment, even if you're skipping the the filler, which I absolutely am. I've learned my lesson from Naruto. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, it only takes one Naruto. But like, you know, if your job is not to be a professional anime, you know, critic, which I guess are we are we anime critics? Is that what we are now? Um, we do reviews. So, yeah, I guess we're critics. If that's not your job, then and you're you don't already have an interest in the show. I can't recommend it to you. But, you know, if you have an interest in it and you're curious about it and you have the time, which God, does anybody even have the time anymore for anything? Maybe take this show down because um, I'm really enjoying it. Like I had the time to watch anything like that was what this this episode of the podcast was about is I could have watched anything. And instead of watching the show that I set out to watch, I watched one piece and I don't regret it. Um, so that's kind of where I ended up landing on that one. Yeah, I <sighs> one day I will watch it, but. I don't know when that day will be <laughs> uh, tomorrow, Dan. It will be tomorrow. 
No, it will definitely not be tomorrow because tomorrow I will be editing this podcast episode, which is now over. The episode is over. We did the catch episode. I'm yeah, it pretty was drunk. I hope we do another one again soon. What he said. He said the thing. <laughs> um, but no, it was fun. Um, so, you know, best buds, let us know. What are you catching up on? Is there a show that you want us to catch up on? Maybe if we get enough responses, maybe we'll do like a, a, a listener's choice catch up episode where you get to decide what we catch up on. Uh, but only if enough of you let us know. And the ways that you can let us know is hitting us up on Instagram at bestboys underscore pod. You can also send us an email at thebestboyspod at gmail.com. We're not on threads, um, so you can't get us there. And I don't check the Twitter anymore, where I guess it's called X now. I don't know how to refer to that. But we don't do it. So use those two things that I just told you about. Um, tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is huge. Rate and review us five stars. We always appreciate it. Um, and yeah, thanks for tuning in and we're looking forward to seeing you next time. Have a good one, best buds. Bye.